One of the greatest gifts I've ever received, we, you know, we're talking, uh, completing actually our Return to Sender series today um, about these different kinds of gifts that we receive and some of them gifts we wish we, all right, gifts that we wish that we, that we hadn't received. Um, we've talked about the gift of waiting, the gift of conflict, the gift of grief, uh, the gift of confusion, um, and, uh, and today... Um, I want to share about one of the most special gifts I've ever received, and it's this guitar that belonged to my grandfather. Um, my grandfather, uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Uh, my grandfather <laughs> traded uh, a TV in 1952 for this guitar, uh, this Gibson guitar. He, he, I'm pretty sure the TV is no longer in existence. It's in a landfill somewhere, but I have so many memories of my grandfather um, playing this guitar, strumming it, uh, sitting in his recliner, uh, singing songs with my grandmother, playing it in church. Uh, I remember him trying to teach me to play the guitar, and that didn't go great, but I, I learned later uh, a little bit how to play. Um, and uh, it's beautiful, especially beautiful to me because of all the memories it holds. I mean, he traded uh, that TV for this guitar almost 70 years ago, so it's hard to believe. Um, but as you get closer to it, You'll see that uh, somewhere along the line in the past few years, the glue around the neck um, failed, and the neck has begun to separate from the body of the guitar. And so it still sounds good if you put it in Kellen's hands or Eli's hands or Nick's hands. I'm sure they can make it sound good, but it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit dangerous. I never keep it tuned up because as you put that tension on the neck, there's a chance to, all right, there's a chance that that neck will continue to snap. Uh, as you put that tension uh, on, on the neck under tension, under pressure, under pressure uh, it might snap. And, and one day, and I've called the, I've called the Gibson company and, and, uh, and talked about the process of getting a guitar restored, and, and one day uh, I'll put that guitar into the hands of a master craftsman um, and it will be restored uh, to to the day of its you know to, to the day of its birth. Uh, but right now, I can't pay the price for that. Uh, right now, things like paying the electric bill and, and and buying groceries take precedence, and so I cannot afford the price tag. But one day, that guitar is going to be placed in the hands of a master craftsman, and its brokenness will be restored. As we think about our world, as we think about life, a word that we often use as a description, is broken. Say so this world's broken, or my marriage is broken, or my heart's broken. And, and, and often to describe ourselves or our world, we use that word broken. And, 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 and as we think about the condition of the world, broken is a good description. As you think about people around you, as you think about relationships, as you think about marriage, friendship, relationships with parents or children, think about your own heart and life. What are those areas where if you put a little pressure, you put a little tension you're prone to snap. Uh, anybody experience some of that around the table at Christmas? Uh, uh, it's just the right, you know, it's the right amount of tension and somebody snaps. There, there's areas of our lives where under pressure or under tension, maybe we snap and we go back, we revert back to behaviors or habits that we know aren't healthy and aren't good, but we go back to them. Um, we're broken um, as a result of our own sin. Other people's sin contributes to the brokenness in our lives and, 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 and the world around us. And, and so imagine what would happen if I grabbed a jigsaw and some Elmer's glue and said, hey guys, watch, I'm going to fix this guitar right in front of you. No, don't do it. Like, like you know that I don't have the skill 
to do that. And yet, so many of us, our brokenness is manifested as we try to put our lives back together and we're trying to mend our lives, we're trying to heal our brokenness using our own abilities and our own tools and our own efforts. Um, Brokenness, it's hard to imagine how brokenness could be a gift. Or how brokenness could be a good thing. Anybody, maybe, maybe you, you opened up a Christmas gift this year and, and you took it out of the box and, and it was broken. Uh, anybody, you know, you go to put together a toy for your, uh, your child Christmas morning. Uh, and I don't know why Santa Claus doesn't put some of these things together, but maybe Christmas morning you were putting together this, this gift and realized a couple pieces were missing from the box. And, and, and that's, that's not something we say, oh, thank you for this gift of brokenness. Broken things... Um, anger us, broken things embarrass us. You know, I used to proudly display my grandpa's um, uh, guitar on the wall, but after that crack happened, and it happened on my watch, it happened while I had it, I I felt embarrassed, and I put it in a case. I wonder why that says something, right? We, We hide away things that are broken. We want to conceal what's broken, And how can brokenness be a gift? I ask you to think about today, let's think about our personal lives, our relationships, our sin patterns, those areas where we're tempted to snap under pressure. Think about your walk with Christ, your addictions, your habits, your hang-ups, your negative thought patterns. How can you recognize the brokenness in your own life? And what does it look like to return brokenness to God in worship? All right, so I believe that we are able to return our brokenness to God in worship as we commit our lives into the hands of the one that was broken for us. That's our, that's our thought today. Our, our encouragement today is to place your life, place your broken life into the hands of the one who was broken on your behalf. Place your broken life into the hands of the one who was broken for you. So what is brokenness? And, and part of the difficulty in talking about brokenness, uh, even in Christian circles, we, we talk about this word, we throw the word around a lot, but we use it in different ways. And so there's different ways, there's different things we mean when we say broken, okay? And so uh, one aspect of brokenness is brokenness is a condition. Another way to put that might be that brokenness is a position. Uh, because, of, uh, because of my... Um, uh, humanity, because I'm uh, uh, born uh, in Adam, I'm born separated from God by sin, uh, I'm positionally broken. And because we're broken, we sin. Uh, I sin because of my broken condition. I, 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 ch- I worship things that are not God because of my broken Condition. That's one aspect of brokenness. But brokenness is also an attitude. It can be an attitude. Brokenness can be a posture, a positive thing. It can be a posture of humility that we bring before God. And, 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 and that's where brokenness is. My heart is broken because I sin. So, so uh, positional brokenness, or con- uh, that brokenness as a condition is, um, I, 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 I sin because I'm broken. But brokenness as a, as, a, as, as a posture before God is, I'm broken in my heart. My heart is broken because I sin. And brokenness, that sense of I'm broken because I'm broken. I, I'm broken in my heart, and I'm laying out my broken heart before God in humility. That's a posture that is necessary if we're ever going to be restored. 
Brokenness is an invitation. Um, Brokenness is an invitation. When I recognize my broken sinfulness and when I sense that broken posture uh, come down on me, that what we might call conviction, that's an invitation to cry out to God honestly for restoration. And so how will we respond? As, we, as, as I look at my sin and as I look at God's grace found in Christ, how will I respond? Will I continue with the Elmer's glue trying to glue my guitar back together? Will I call in all the king's horses and all the king's men to try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Or will I cry out to God for restoration? And so Psalm 51, where we'll be today, Psalm 51. Uh, this is one of several psalms of, 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 of confession and repentance. And this is the greatest one and, and probably the greatest, well definitely the greatest song of repentance ever written. And, and in this psalm, David cries out to God for mercy. On the basis of God's covenant, faithful love. And David confesses his brokenness and he renounces, repents of, turns away from his sin. And and sometimes we're better at confessing than we are repenting. Especially today, it's kind of fashionable to say, you know, I'm broken, you know. Uh, And so we talk about we're broken and it's gotten easy for us to confess that we're broken But what's harder is to take the next step and turn away from the the things that I'm doing that are broken and turn to God in faith and in repentance. Sometimes we're better at confessing than than repenting. And, and, And repentance is when I turn away from my way and I turn to God's way with a heart that's broken that I've broken his heart. Often we use brokenness as an excuse to remain in our sin. Sometimes we use this idea of I'm broken and the world's broken. As an excuse to remain in, well, you know, it's a broken world, you know. I mean, I'm broken, that's why I gossip all the time, you know. I'm, I just gossip, and I just, forgive my brokenness here, but did you hear about, oh, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm a little racist, but, you know, it's bro- I'm broken, you know. Um, addiction, materialism, contempt, gossip. Um, when we use the language of brokenness, we're not using it biblically if we use brokenness as an excuse to um, defend or justify or excuse remaining the same you know we 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 ignore that the guitar is broken some of us are just ignoring that it's broken hey look at grandpa's guitar and people are like oh it's got a big old crack in it and and others of us are trying to insist on repairing the guitar in our own way with our own abilities and whichever way we're responding to brokenness it's not working and so the backstory of psalm 51 um, uh, many of us know the story. It's David and Bathsheba. So you remember 2 Samuel 11, uh, David sends all his men to war, but he decides, I'm just going to kind of chill out at the house. You know, I'm going to watch some Netflix and just kind of hang out for a while. And while, uh, while all the men are off at war, and David's sitting around with nothing to do, he's got no time on his hands, he's got power, he's got influence, he's let it go to his head. He's up on his roof one day, he sees a, 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 a woman, Bathsheba, is called Very Beautiful, and he sees her bathing, and he, he sins for her. She doesn't have much choice in the matter. Uh, this is the kind of thing that we've heard about uh, leaders today doing, using their influence and their power to take advantage of women. And he does that. This man after God's own heart, he, uh, he, uh, he, he calls out to Bathsheba. It's not like she has a lot of choice. She comes to him, and they lay together. And she becomes uh, pregnant. And so then, da- then David is... 
scared. And he says, people are going to find out. Uh, people are going to see that I'm broken. And so what he does is he tries to take matters into his own hands. And he tries to fix it. And that's part of how our brokenness manifests. Not our brokenness as far as posture before God, but our brokenness as far as our condition. It manifests in rather than owning up to our brokenness, we try to cover it up. And we try to fix it. And we try to fix it in our own ways. And, and often what happens is we make matters worse. And that's exactly what happens to David. He tries to fix it. He brings Uriah in. Uriah is too noble to go home and, and lay with his wife. And, and, uh, and then eventually David puts Uriah on the front lines where he's sure to be killed. And that is what happened. Uriah dies. And, and then David marries Bathsheba. And he is still just kind of rocking along, acting like everything's okay. And then God sends Nathan the prophet to David. And Nathan the prophet, he walks in and he, he tells this just heart-crushing uh, 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 story about a man who has one little lamb that he loves and that he feeds and that he cares for. And this other uh, big landowner that has all these lambs comes and slaughters that, 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 that man's little lamb. And, and, and David's enraged and, 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 and says, who is this man that I may punish him? And Nathan the prophet says, you are the man. You are the man. And, 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 they, and in response to Nathan the prophet's confrontation, David writes Psalm 51. David didn't just get to self-awareness on his own. This is why we need community. This is why we need Nathan the prophets in our lives. Because David probably would have told you he was pretty self-aware, but he wasn't. It's like sometimes I try to walk out of the house and I'm wearing something and Sonda's like, oh, you're going to wear that? <laughs> like, well... No, I mean, of course not. Like, who would? You know? Um, sometimes we're not as self-aware as we think we are. So God's, God puts community in our lives, and we need people in our lives that tell us the truth, whether we want to hear it or not. And as, as we dive into Psalm 51, we see David's brokenness as a posture before God. And he acknowledges his sinful brokenness with a spirit or a posture of brokenness. And he doesn't use the language of brokenness to excuse his sin. He doesn't say, you know what, the whole Bathsheba thing, that was bad, but you know, can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. I mean, you know, it's a broken world. He doesn't use the language of brokenness to cloak his sin or to hide his sin or to justify his sin. He's broken before God. And listen, there's a difference between glorying in our brokenness and glorying in God. There's a difference between glorying in our brokenness versus glorifying God. And in Psalm 51, we don't see David glorying in his brokenness. What we see is brokenness that glorifies God. It's, it's become to the place where we almost, as a society, glory in our brokenness. But what we're called to is to glorify God in our brokenness and to glorify God through our brokenness. And as we're weak and as we're broken and as we're a mess, that can bring glory and honor to God. And that's exactly what we see here in Psalm 51. So Psalm 51 verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. The first thing that David says out of the gate is have mercy on me. Mercy, remember the game where you, you, you interlock your fingers and one of you tries to bend the other one's fingers back and when you say mercy, that means you're humiliated. It means you're defeated. It means, it means you have no hope of helping or saving or rescuing or delivering yourself. And that's where David begins, have mercy. And mercy is a way that he's acknowledging, God, I don't earn, I, didn't, I don't deserve anything. 
But I'm, I'm laying myself out there. Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. That word steadfast love is one of the greatest words in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word chesed. And it means God's covenant faithfulness. And David says, he's saying, I have mercy on me. And the reason you're going to have mercy on me, God, is not because of anything I've done, but because at your core, you are faithful. You're faithful to your people. You're faithful to your covenant. You don't change. And if you want to know what is um, the greatest difference between God and humanity, I would, I would say there's a high probability the greatest difference comes down to this idea of faithfulness. God is faithful. He does not change. He does not waver. He's not here today and there tomorrow. You can count on him. And David says, have mercy on me. I am not faithful. But have mercy on me because, God, you are faithful. David's showing us how to repent if we'll pay attention. How do we repent? And this is more than just saying these words. It's the posture of brokenness before God. David's not saying, hey, I'm going to go do the same thing again tomorrow. This is a posture of brokenness before God. I don't deserve it. God is faithful. Verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Uh, uh, David describes sin as a stain, as, a, as, as, a, as this blemish on us. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. Now Uriah might say, David, I think you sinned against more people than just God. Our sin affects other people. But, but, but what we're getting at here is that ultimately, yes, there's human sin and, and we need to uh, address that part of how our sin affects other people, but ultimately and fundamentally, every sin is an act of rebellion against God first. And sadly, we typically don't repent until other people see it. Right? God saw it. We know God saw it. That wasn't enough for David. It had to be exposed. Verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David says, you delight in truth in the, inmer, in the innermost being. Now, now, David's been living a lie, and we don't know for how long, but a while he's been living a lie. You, know, it's, you can have a relationship with God and deceive yourself and live a lie. And then what ends up happening is you start to feel like, you know, it just doesn't feel like I have much of a relationship with God. Well, yeah, you're living a lie. He says, you desire truth in the inmost being. And David knows he's been living a lie. There's this gap between what God desires and what David is living. There's a gap between what God desires, God's best for David, and what David is actually living. And, and, and confession and repentance is acknowledging that that gap exists. He says, you desire truth in the inmost being. That's not where I've been. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hyssop was this... Uh, this, this uh, uh, plant that would be used in the cleansing of lepers and, 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 and to admit them back into community. And, and David's describing sin now as the this, as this sickness, this disease that only God can cleanse him from. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. 
One translation says, let my broken bones dance. Notice that David says, let the bones, God, that you have broken rejoice. So David's brokenness has been the separation because he's a sinful man. He's had these broken patterns and he had this broken relationship and he responded to it in broken ways. But then through Nathan the prophet, this spirit of brokenness, spiritual brokenness came over David where he was convicted of his sin. And he says to God, God, it's like you broke my bones. Brokenness, the spirit of brokenness from God, the spirit of repentance from God, it may not feel good. Anybody had a broken bone and said, you know, that felt wonderful? No. David said, God, it feels like you've broken my bones, but you got my attention. And now that you've broken me, and now that I've confessed to you, and now that my sin is, is out in the open, man, the bones that have been broken can dance. That's what happens through confession. We think that confession to God and others is going to lead to deeper shame, but what it leads to is greater freedom. He's experienced this brokenness from God, and that brokenness from God is a gift to David. Let the, bro- the, the broken bones dance for joy. And then verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, O Lord. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I can't tell you how many times over the past 22 years of walking with Christ that I've prayed, created me a clean heart, O God. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, don't cast me away from your presence, O Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy. David believes that even though he's broken, he believes the guitar can be restored. He believes his life can be restored. But listen, he's not glib about it. He's not just shrugging his shoulders about it. Ah, world's broken, God's good. I'll buy another guitar. He's broken. And he cries out to God authentically. And he knows that, 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 that through confession and repentance comes joy. Brokenness is that condition. Um, the condition of I'm far from... Brokenness as a condition is that sense of I'm far from God. And part of that broken condition is a propensity to ignore and cover up and justify my brokenness. That's David with Bathsheba, right? That's the sinful brokenness. He, he's doing sinful things, then he covers it up, and he tries to fix it on his own. Can you identify that pattern in your life? And then God in his grace breaks through and brings me to an attitude of spiritual brokenness, heaviness, conviction, and it's humbling. It's almost too much to bear. That's what happened with David when Nathan the prophet came and visited him. Oh my gosh, my eyes are open. That's why we need community again. And then how will I respond to that invitation? Will I commit my broken life into the hands of the one who was broken for me? Will I cry out for cleansing? Will I turn to him and receive joy? Verse 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, the sacrifice of God, or a broken spirit, a broken contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. 
He says, all the religious sacrifices, all the religious acts in the world are not enough and they don't count if my heart is not broken before God. All the religious acts apart from brokenness before God are just like putting Elmer's glue on the guitar. Brokenness, true brokenness, this spirit of God, I'm, I'm just broken before you. It reminds me that I need Jesus. I mean, my brokenness in sin reminds me that I need Jesus. And my spiritual brokenness of, of just being broken and, and, and heartbroken before God reminds me that I need Jesus. And it's an invitation to place my life into the hands of the one broken for me. And God, God is patient with our brokenness. Have you experienced God being patient with you? Anybody in here ever do the same dumb stuff over and over and over again? Yeah. And God's patient. But don't confuse his patience as apathy. He is committed to your restoration. He's committed to my restoration. He's committed to putting us back together. And when we experience this heartbreak over our sin, it's a taste of God's love. It's a taste of God's mercy. But there's something about us that doesn't like the idea of being dependent. Something about us that doesn't like this idea of, you know what, I'm dependent on God for my daily life. On social media recently, I saw a post for um, a church called You Church. And uh, it's a pastor that, that used to be uh, an evangelical pastor, and now he's kind of gone into the New Age movement, and he, he planted a church for you. You Church. It's all about you. This is not a joke. And he said in this post, stop depending on Jesus. You don't need to depend on Jesus. You are enough. Don't have an orphan spirit where you always have to rely on Jesus. Depend on you. And then he asks, what if you are the second coming of Christ? And I, after I spit my coffee out, <laughs> I said something It probably wasn't very generous and probably can't be repeated here, but basically my thought was, if I or anyone I know am the second coming of Christ, we are in so much trouble. <laughs> but humanity has no end of ways of trying to fix the broken guitar with our own tools and our own abilities. And the gospel offers something different than we're going to find anywhere else. The creator of the universe became one of us. And he was broken for us. That's the gospel. He, the perfect one, the pure one, the whole one, the holy one, was broken. And he allowed himself to be broken on the cross. Isaiah 53 says he was crushed for our sin. Crushed. The answer to your brokenness, whether it's addiction or a sexuality struggle or it's an attitude or it's a relationship issue, the, the answer to our brokenness is only found in the broken body of Jesus Christ hanging from the cross. You know, so one day I'm going to have the money pulled together, maybe, and, and I'm going to take this guitar to the Gibson factory, and I'm going to hand that guitar, I'm going to place it in the hands of this master craftsman, and he'll repair it, and I will pay the price. And I'll be reminded ever for generations to come that, you know, or I won't be reminded, for, but somebody hopefully will be reminded that, hey, this thing was broken, and now it's restored. 
But imagine if Gibson called me tomorrow, and Gibson, if you're watching, please. Uh, imagine if Gibson called tomorrow and said, hey, love you on Facebook Live, um, and said, we're sending our finest uh, craftsman. He's flying to Sweetwater personally to restore your instrument. No need to pay anything. He's covering everything. All he asks is that you share the gift of music with everyone you meet. Because it's exactly what the master craftsman has done for you and for me. He came to you. He came to me. He put on our flesh and he was broken in your place. And he's not leaving us to dig in our pockets and max out our credit cards and try to pay it off. It's paid. Jesus was broken, crushed, not so we could fix ourselves, not so we could scrape it together. You know, really good news, Jesus can make beautiful music with a broken instrument. Isn't that good news? He can make beautiful, if it wasn't for that, you know, it would be no hope. He can make beautiful music with a broken instrument, but his goal is to restore you fully. And Tim Keller and his wife, Kathy, give a, a beautiful picture of this as we wrap up. Um, in their book, The Meaning of Marriage, but this applies to any kind of relationship. They say, it is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you're taking to his throne. And when we get there, we'll look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but look at you now. Guys, that's what being... A Christian and in relationship, being in community is about. It's what Christian marriage is about, what Christian friendship is about. It's what discipleship is about. It's about walking alongside one another and catching these little glimpses of, man, this is who God made you to be, helping and partnering with God and helping one another along to that process. And one day we will stand before the throne as the instruments that God always designed us to be. And we'll say, look at you. I knew it. I knew it. And as we join together, we're not going to be making much of ourselves, but we will be in a chorus making much of Him. And the really good news is that we can do that today. We can join the chorus and make much of Jesus. So confess to God. Maybe there's stuff you need to confess to God today. Maybe there's stuff you need to confess to others today. David gives us a great pattern in Psalm 51. But beyond that, place your broken life into the hands of the one who is broken for you.